Eyes on Whiteness is a podcast that illuminates the insidious and ignorant ways of whiteness, regardless of intent. Our guests are invited to talk about the ways white supremacy and patriarchy are pervasive and ever-present. Our conversations are rooted in a commitment to normalizing the how, not if lens, for looking at the ways it's present for all of us. If you'd like to support us, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Patreon, Eyes on Whiteness. I'm your host, Maureen Benson, and sometimes I'll be joined by Deidre Barber, who will only show up when she feels like it. The podcast is produced by the brilliant and kind Aaron Rand Freeman. We're excited to welcome you to the show. conversation was recorded as the most recent wave of uprising was beginning after the murder of Ahmad Avery. Today we welcome Dr. Juan Carlos Arauz, a brilliant educator, facilitator, and leader for equity. Juan Carlos received his doctorate in international and multicultural education at the University of San Francisco. His dissertation focused on the racial identity development of undocumented youth. His belief that we cannot have educational excellence without equity led him to found the nonprofit E3, Education Excellence and Equity. His work is powerful and life-changing. Fun facts about Juan Carlos is that he's a proud member of a family that includes 29 children. He was born in Brazil to Nicaraguan parents living in six different U.S. states and countries by the age of 21. He has taught and coached around the world, and we are honored to have him with us on the podcast. Deidre and I realized pretty quickly when we began that this was a reunion, as the three of us haven't been in the same place in nearly three years. So we offer a strange gratitude to some of the benefits of the pandemic. Slowing down, reconnecting within and with others, centering self-needs in a way that we don't often give ourselves permission to do. We also want to acknowledge that in the recording of today's podcast, Juan Carlos shared from a deeply personal place that we chose to edit out but want to acknowledge that what we edited out was a personal share about current grief that he's navigating. So you may hear him refer to that later in the episode. As well, a few times the audio sound cuts out a little bit and we do apologize, but hang in there. Overwhelmingly, the audio is just fine. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Hi, Juan Carlos! (laughs) Look at you! All right, so this is what I gotta do to see you. I got it. I got it. Pretty much. We need we need a shelter in place and some video. <laughs> How are you? Are you? He's at a standing I'm desk. Doing. Are you at a standing desk? Standing and sitting. Wow. You know, apparently it's healthier. It is. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, uh, always lo- loving the uh, no should have and more on the uh, just what is this moment uh, teaching me right now? So all is well, for sure. Are you, are you getting rid of the shoulds? Is that what I'm hearing you say? I don't know if I'm getting rid of them. I'm just <laughs> acknowledging that they're there. 
That's the first step, brother. That's the first step. <laughs> uh, I still did mark that. I'm still acknowledging that. Like, there's still, I've gotten better, but there are definitely moments where the, I'm at a point now where it should comes out of my mouth and I'll catch it. I'll be like, oh, that's probably not the word I mean. Uh, mm. But, and I've been working on shoulds for a decade, so. <laughs> I'm just soaking it in right now, just uh, being able to be hanging out with both of y'all. That's actually what I'm kind of just in awe right now. So, <laughs> y'all are amazing human beings. So, just, Soaking it in right now in this moment, both of you all at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. It's <laughs> the last time all three of us have shared space together at the same time. Mm. At, at least two years, at least. Yeah. At least. At least. Two. Deidre, you, we were working on that whole thing called E3 way back then. Yeah, I mean, I've been, we haven't, the three of us haven't been on a call since I've been married. So, like, it's at least two, two and a half, three years, at least, and might even yeah. more. Yeah. Like whether I, we've never done that, we've never even done this. We've been we've been no. on call or in person, but never a video. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, this would happen more. I mean, you know, everyone keeps asking people I haven't spoken to out of the blue it will reach out to me now, <laughs> you know, but the people who know me deeply, they're like, you're loving this shit, aren't you? <laughs> it's like outside of people dying, yes, like I'm not okay with that. And I get the inequities that are happening. Uh, I'm sitting in my privilege, but like, this is me. I don't leave the house anyway. Like people generally frighten me to some extent. Uh, and so, but I like people, so I have to, so I work with them. But like this, you want to hang out, Juan Carlos. The three of us, this is just, whether the shelter in place goes away or not, you should just be like, hey, chicks, let's get on the fucking call. <laughs> watch out. Watch out what you ask for. <laughs> it's I more got like time on my hands. You know, it's not watch out. Know what to ask for, Juan Carlos. Know what to ask for. <laughs> apparently, you have to, apparently, you have to do it with a New York accent, also. Hey, chicks. <laughs> Let's get on a fucking call. <laughs> yeah, you're going to cut that out, right? That's what I was going to get. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, profanity is welcome. Your authentic self is welcome. <laughs> um, I'm bookmarking that should, but I also just thought maybe we just take a few minutes and just say hi, human, catch up uh, before we jump into some specific podcast stuff. Hi, human. Hi, humans. <laughs> yeah, what are you up to, Juan Carlos? What do you mean? What, what are you doing, dude? Uh, that's what I was going to ask you all. Um, but y'all got me starstruck right now. Um, so what am I up to? Uh, well, uh, thank goodness for this global pandemic, unless, of course, you're impacted financially and, you know, uh, physically by it. But thank goodness for it, because I know since, what is it, I guess July of 2018, so, you know, it'll be two years this um, this coming uh, July, I have uh, been saying that, look, I need to slow down and figure things out. And uh, it took a global pandemic to, to 
create the things that, that I have been wanting. And it's all been preparing me. So yeah. I'm cool with the pace. Um, or I should say I accept the pace. I'm not cool with the pace of, of my growth, but definitely cool with the, you know, accepting it. And it is just what it is. But uh, since the shutdown, um, I mean, like, I wouldn't say it's like 100%, but, you know, whatever, we've been in out for two months, you know, maybe one or two times um, that I have not meditated, not done yoga, not done running. Um, Gosh, when's the last time I even ate ice cream? I don't know. Maybe four times I've eaten ice cream. Um, I don't know. So, like, you know, just the whole, all the things that I've been wanting to do, you know, giving myself permission to be able to do that uh, has definitely helped due to this pandemic. And so in that space, I'm soaking it all in, trying to, you know, hold on to that anchor because it's a very, uh, you know, it's not something that I've practiced, obviously, much in my life and so uh very much hoping that i can hold on to this and it just that kind of energy just continues to grow stronger and stronger um instead of chasing you know uh so yeah i mean that's the general but um yeah so i'm doing well i really am doing well Yeah, that's beautiful to hear. I, I totally get that. Like, I feel like I'm hearing through my wife and her community, because they're activists, just like there is definitely a need to slow down, that uh, they were in different ways trying to work toward, but the construct of work till you drop and uh, putting everybody else before yourself and, you know, just a lot of personal development work that, uh, folks who care about the world put on hold, not realizing you are the world. Like you can't really help the outside until you help the inside. It's ironic, yeah. you know, this is uh, this pandemic has really created a space for a lot of folks to do, to, to do that, to do the slowdown, to uh, either put in place the things that they've been wanting to or to bring to light, you know, the, the, um, you know, taking note how difficult it was to slow down and the antsiness yeah. to get out of the house. You know, like I had this one conversation with a friend. I was like, what do you, I was like, I remember six months ago when we spoke, all you talked about was like this need and desire to slow down, but that the life and world wouldn't let you. I was like, now that's what you're getting. And you are like, I actually want to tell you to shut up. It's annoying. Like, which do you want? Like, I'm like trying to have as much compassion as possible, but I remember that conversation. Now shut up. Like, just sit in your house. Go, you want to take a walk? Take a walk. But just shut I'm like, you keep running. You know what you're running from? I was like, you're not running yeah. from the government. You're running from yourself. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had to close that conversation because I wasn't being as compassionate as I could have been but it was hard you know it's just a friend you know you have that friend who complains about the same thing over and over again and then they get what they ask for and still complaining and I'm like ugh, get it together yeah Maureen you said we are recording right now yeah but I'll edit <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got it on tape, though. You've been doing yoga. 
you've been <laughs> running <laughs> you haven't had ice cream i was a i had it on mute but i was slow clapping <laughs> <laughs> better than me brother i've been eating like eight pounds of chocolate a day and i don't when it was non-pandemic i was not eating that much chocolate. i was eating chocolate but not that much so you're inspiring me thanks yeah well it doesn't come without its uh you know real life experiences right so like that year and what is it like i said it's going to be two years um did you, i did a I don't know what it was. I think it was a, a two-year uh, silent retreat, but I think it was actually only eight days um, up in the mountains uh, near New Mexico with a whole other bunch of um, uh, people of color uh, folks. And so in doing that, um, you know, obviously there, there's transformative moments, and that's it's wonderful, and that was one of them. The funny of it that I always love to say is that we were in this huge forest and I tried to run away three times um I even got myself on video uh like crying like okay you know what if nobody finds me I'm okay love everybody if you find this phone I'm out you know because of what you, <laughs> because of what you said Deidre which is you know we're running away from ourselves you know uh, and there was like nowhere to go and then finally you know I it, it, I, I realized that there were um lions tigers and bears out here and like legit i would not be found so um <laughs> i i definitely that was an experience i will say you know those eight days of, of silent retreat it was it was i would say torturous but some people consider that healing um i think they're one in the same you know in light of everything that has been happening um and i'm you know still standing so very appreciative of each day Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be another level. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot to hold. That's a lot to hold. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not holding it though. Thank goodness. <laughs> I try not to. We're like, yeah, that's a good point. I were to move through, you know, like, you yeah. know, it's like what I you know what came to mind when you were saying all that? I was like, oh, you know, I'm hoping for you that at some point, whenever you're, if you're interested or whenever, you know, the time is right, that there's an ability to reflect and see that with every door that's shut, there's a new door that opens. Or like the idea of like, in order for something new to be birthed, often for people like, you know, I always said to you, Juan Carlos, you and I are very similar. Like we just move in the world, the world in a gendered way, but so it's very different, but without the gender, it's very similar. Um, and sometimes I think for us, it takes severe loss um, yeah. for something new to be birthed. Like we're, we're kind of obstinate and controlling that way. So, um, so I would have, that was what was coming up for me. I was just kind of like, oh, there's, you know, if it's not already happening for you, that I would imagine that's on the horizon. Like really beautiful things will be birthed out of that much loss Co 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 coinciding is that the word? Co yes. Yeah. I'm uh, sitting with the fact that uh, I I know that you like comedy, Juan Carlos. So I think I think you'll appreciate this. That I I think it's almost like a like a funny like the the pandemic is almost like the funny punctuation mark on the end of the sentence where it's like oh you avoid doing your personal work. 
<laughs> let's clear this out. Let's clear this out. And just when you're ready to like have some things cleared out, but sort of take on a new job and your home and your pandemic, sit down. <laughs> yeah. It's so rising, true, Maureen. You're rising up to it, though. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't stress enough. I mean, hanging out with both of y'all has been amazing in terms of just the, those seeds, right? Of just like letting go of the attachment of the outcome of everything that, you know, even with this space that I'm in, um, you know, just spewed with whiteness and privilege and, and, you know, really the level that they're at, it's not a hierarchical level, but just the level that they're entering into this work is like child's play. And so while it is easy for me to get drawn into wanting to quote, fix it or, you know, get hooked or, you know, spend hours figuring out, I'm like, nah, I can do this with my eyes closed, engage when I need to engage and let go when I need to let go. And especially now with the pandemic, it's just been amazing of just how much more time. And I'm just like, okay, guess maybe I might go back into reading. Maybe I won't, but you know, the, 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 the little thing that I'll just say real quick, it is crazy how 50 years of, and then who knows our historical trauma, but the habit that when I wake up in the morning, I know you're all going to laugh because I, I love the joke that you offered, Maureen. I woke up, I swear to God, this Sunday, and it was Mother's Day, as I know, and I woke up, and at 8 o'clock, you know, because, yeah, I'm getting out finally out of the bed, you know, and I'm like, Oh man, I gotta do. What am I gonna do? Oh, and I'm like stressing over like, do I go running? Do I not go running? Do I go to the office to go work to keep myself busy until I can go see the kids? And then finally realizing, I had to tell myself, what the hell are you stressing about? You got the whole day to yourself, nothing to do, nothing to do, and it just like, oh. So just a, it's hilarious how those moments happen. Like I said, I, not that I don't have the should have, um, it's just I'm becoming aware of them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. good for you. Isn't that a beautiful? I love that moment when you're like you're you're sitting in worry and then you realize, oh, I don't actually have to hold that. Like that's not real. Like I've just created, I've just created something to worry about, and I actually don't like even if it's something real, not to. Um, minimize the things that we have going on in our life but i know that sometimes i will do that i'm like you know i'm laying in bed and i run through oh i need to do this I need to do that and i'm like i don't have to do anything actually like <laughs> i don't really have to do anything like really ever we don't actually have to do anything ever even outside of a pandemic but really with the pandemic i you know it's like oh i don't you know so maureen knows mondays I, i've now made saturday sunday monday are my weekends now i'm like Saturday, Sunday, Mondays are my weekend. Why not? Like, who, who decided Monday? I always wondered who decided Monday through Friday was the week anyway. That's some bullshit. You know, I'm like, I didn't get the, I didn't get the vote in that decision. So now I'm like, I'm like, no. And it's funny because uh, our mutual friend Ooh. Stephanie, the woman from the our dog park friend Maureen, she texted me this morning. Cause I te I texted her yesterday a Happy Mother's Day little thing. She texted me today and she said. Thank you so, so much. That's super sweet. And I'm taking Monday off too. I was like, good for you. And now I'm going to spread that. Like, what? like, you know, like we need, there is no going back to normal. Like that, that video, that quote that 
Sonia gave, that beautiful quote that Sonia gave, I agree that there, I, you know, I have some reservations about the wording, um, but this idea of what normalcy is and what normal we're going back to, I'm like, well, first of all, we ain't back there yet, so why stress about that shit now? I, I, I can't. Because like you said, like we get to hold this, right? There's a moment where we get to actually slow down and be more connected to ourselves, to other people, to the trees and the fucking wind and the flower. You know, like you're seeing, you're, the, yeah. it's like this slow down time where you get to see and engage with the world in ways that we didn't because we spent all our time trying to save the world but never fucking enjoying it. Yeah. You know? But so like, take my days off. Like, How dare off. you? <laughs> take mondays off i actually have become way more productive tuesday wednesday thursday uh fridays way more with, with monday as a free day now i think it's really interesting too um that even in you know and you you acknowledge this right like the the first mother's day after your mom's passing that to just wake up with the I'm supposed to be doing something. What? And even if it's like, but it's it's this work that you're doing for yourself. You're like, should I jog? Should I stretch? Should I write? There's a way in which I think whiteness has us and embedded in that capitalism and embedded in that patriarchy, this like work through everything. Don't make space for emotions. Fuck you for wanting to connect to nature. Just go, 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 go. Like that, I was really present to that. Like, wow, even on this Mother's Day, which however you choose to acknowledge it is how you choose to acknowledge it. There was a layer of, and it resonates because I, I feel guilt all the time if I'm not like up checking off my list to doing my thing, but just even in the face of just such a really big milestone this day, you know, that that was your, your, um, your physical response and your, your, uh, you know, intellectual response was to just make it a checklist and stress about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, what I've learned, it's become more clear during the pandemic, but I was kind of already on this path of starting to unpack where are the places that I move uh, with uh, internalized whiteness and internalized uh, patriarchy. Um, whether sometimes I'm conscious of it, sometimes I'm not conscious of it. Uh, but one of the places is action for action's sake, where mm. I determine my value based on how busy I am or how long my to-do list is. And really stepping back from that, right? Like taking the time to step back and see like in my, you know, it took me, you know, two decades of not being in the church anymore after having been raised in the church and just removing myself from that as an adult of my own accord to come back to morning prayers, right? And just morning prayers, just more in terms of how I want my day to be. Um, and realizing that I had to, in those prayers, ask for and just really be intentional about moving from inspired action as opposed to action, action. So you know, just being really inspired. So when you wake up in the morning, you know, and you're like laying in bed and you go, I, you know, you go through that list of shit, even when it's like good stuff, you know, and it, but you're still used to making the list of like, okay, I'm going to make a healthy breakfast. Then I'm going to walk. Then I'm going to play with the dog. Then I'm going to um, clean the back porch. And then I'm going to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> or hold up your list. 
it's just it's the action is just being like oh you know like, you know some of that maureen you taught me of like when we and we actually went through this the three of us years ago remember we would meet up and all of us wanted an agenda and maureen and you were the one who was like i'm gonna try to move us away from like having i'm not gonna i'm definitely not gonna be the one i remember maureen would be like i'm not gonna bring my whiteness here and like control this because i could easily come in and just control this and have a list 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 and i remember thinking then processing that of like well, damn, how wide am I? Because I'm like panicking without. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do panic without a, a list, don't we? I, I wonder to what degree that's that's impacting folks in this pandemic of, you know, I was I was say in trainings where I'm like, you know, people are like, well, just teach us the tools to end racism. And I'm like, what is there, a binder to end racism? There's no binder to end racism. I can't give you the book. And and here we are again, we're in this pandemic. Like, what's the what's the binder? What's the how do we yeah. move through with the new rapidly growing new layers of technology and depression well, we're in a we like start with not shooting black people as they're jogging down the fucking street. How about that be number one in the binder? How about that? <laughs> How about that? We just start number one. How about just be one through a hundred? Just written over and over again. Stop <laughs> killing black people. Yeah. And natives, Native American people, brown people. I guess just poor people. <laughs> like the list is gonna get too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, ironically enough, right? Like that's, I was alluding to the fact that technology is growing so rapidly. So that's why it's, a, you know, maybe there's a protocol sort of for a pandemic from a viral perspective, but we have this technology and there's, it's, it's been watching, uh, you know, that video. Um, Juan Carlos, did you watch it? Pandemic, Juan Carlos. Oh. Or do you know yeah, about it? This, this is what you said, Maureen? It is. I was actually talking about the video of the men shooting that young black man. In oh, jail. okay. Sorry, I misunderstood, Maureen. Okay. Um, but yes, let's also bookmark Plandemic. Yeah. Um, I did not watch that. I don't watch those videos. No, but I, I was just saying that it's an interesting, it's the, the, the tragedy uh, was so interesting that the, the what was not what was predictable was that they didn't do anything to the guys for two months. I mean, that happened in February, right? And so the third white man who was following them in a car released that video to help his boys out. He thought the video would help them. Really? Yes. And so wow. then, of course, the video goes viral. It's a video of them actually chasing and killing him? Yes. Wow. And... Wow he thought it would help their case. And so there were no charges. Um, one of the, the father of the two men was a former DA, worked with all the law enforcement. So there was all kinds of connection there. Um, and, and so the case the, it now is evolving because of technology, because of social media. And so that's sort of what I was saying is that we don't have this playbook because things are changing so quickly and then news gets out so quickly. And then it's like, well, how do you have an action in the middle of a pandemic, right? Which nobody gave a fuck about because I watched the steps of the DA's office there and it was just black people out in full effect like there was not a pandemic. Like, fuck you, you're gonna charge this guy, right? 
Um, but what we've seen here in Oakland are actions where people are in cars and there's organized, you know, we're trying to figure out how to social distance during actions. But I was saying all that to say, I think that what I think that it, that situation illuminates really powerfully is, and we, I say this too in trainings, I think we, we do a lot is, you know, you don't need the plan when you know injustice is happening. You just buck up and you do whatever you can to interrupt it. And when that video went viral, people gave no fucks about shelter in place. It was like, we're on the steps, we are protesting, we are organizing, we are raising money. Like, boom, there was just this visceral reaction because it was so clearly racist and problematic. Hmm. Um, so I kind of went off on that tangent a little bit there, but I, I, I am curious how the, what the lack of checklist or what the lack of agenda is doing for people and then where do we find exceptions to the rule for needing a checklist and agenda? And something so visceral as what happened to that young, mm. that young black man. I mean, mm. I, I, I think we're, I think it, I'm gonna say something that is probably overly controversial and you may need to cut out, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, I think the rule, if there is a rule book that activists have around reacting to injustice in the world, I would, from my limited perspective, argue that it wasn't working anyway. So, uh, what an opportunity the pandemic is to rewrite whatever that was. Um, because the killings are not stopping the lynch, you know, like, Yeah. So the other thing I was, the other thought I had to that I was stuck on Maureen while you were just talking about that. I was like, Oh, thank God for fucking ignorance. The fact that this guy's ignorant, stupid ass friend thought that <laughs> video of them chasing him down and killing him would help him. Thank God he was an idiot. Thank God he was a fucking idiot. Not got to go viral. It's unfortunate that this family now has this, that's, you know, like I, I, I'm thinking about what if that was my little brother, you know, and that's the video out in the world of that's his last moments. It's like, uh, you know, I'm blessed that I have a spiritual tradition that I could process that, but it sucks. Yeah, Maureen, one of the things that comes up for me is, as you were sharing the story is I think it's, it's the struggle that I'm having with myself of just, you know, going inward. But this commitment for me around how I understand the social justice is around starting with me. And if I don't do my work, then I, I am actually perpetuating all the very things that I, supposedly I'm fighting against and how easy it has been for me to go global with my, quote, social justice anthem. And yet I have found a lot of people against the system, but how few. I have found, and I maybe can count them in, in one hand, who are actually trying to build something brand new. And I think that's the harder part um, in terms of getting caught up in, and again, we all have our roles to play. So, so I'm not taking away that, that those are those roles, but, but I'm wondering, at least as I sit around, um, and again, I don't know if it's a way to appease any guilt that I have, um, of, of not, quote, defining what act, how I perceive and understand activism, 
Um, but I try to remind myself that activism is, is the work that I'm doing on myself so that I don't perpetuate that. Um, and, and, and I don't know of a lot of people that, like, that's who I want to follow. I want to talk to you all. I want to talk to, you know, Jackie Reza, Maria Romero. I want to talk to, uh, Barbie. I mean, there's like a handful of people and then these webinars or whatever that are coming out of people talking about. Um, and it, ironically, it's, it's specifically only been um, black female critical race theorists who are talking about this pandemic being a portal rather than a pandemic. And and for me, what what strikes me is going back to the personal of just, you know, again, I have this privilege of being alive for so long now that as I look back and I I have at least 30 years of activism, if not 40 years of activism, in some way or another, and yet when I look back and I, if I'm honest about it, how I actually perpetuated some of these things of the evils of, of capitalism, patriarchy, and whiteness, you know, in those ways. So I just, mm. I wonder just sometimes also, um, you know, how much we are as human beings willing to actually do the work that is necessary to, to you know, recreate something as opposed to something. I think it's so important what you said, and Deidre and I uh, believe that deeply, I know in our course, you can't take the second and third part of the course until you begin the individual work, right? The first mm. part of the course. Um, so I find myself curious, is that, are you saying that unless we engage in deep self-work, it's inevitable that we're just going to keep recreating the same it's my first question and then my second question is i i want to hear more about what comes up for you as someone who is delving into your own self work during this time um what's the distinction between a portal and a pandemic the same one as i think uh the water being half empty or half full you know, it, it's a matter of perspective, I think, um, that invites one. I mean, if we talk about a portal, that, that feels like an invitation. Um, a pandemic, um, I think, creates a sense of restrictiveness of now I have to, you know, hunker down, circle um, things. You know, how we enter this work of, of DEI space, um, which is interpersonal, interpersonal, institutional, um, and what was interesting was the offering that, that it needs to start with interpersonal work first. And, and I wondered, you know, um, you know, since then, you know, I've just wondered if I want to continue to allow, you know, the diversity of how human beings enter the work of realization is, is however they do that. What I'm clear though, is that, um, if you want, well, I, I would just say that that the essence is the interpersonal work. That's the essence of the work. However, it ends up showing out institutionally, um, you know, whether that makes change or not is inevitable. Uh, but the interpersonal work is the grounding uh, because, again, with what I believe to be true around how epigenetics works, how historical trauma works, I'm, I'm bringing in already 
a certain way of being that if I don't address that, it will actually get repeated in my lifetime. And, and I feel like, you know, I don't think this is just confirmation bias. I mean, I think this is, this is actually statistically true that, that whether it's in my life or in anyone else's life, that we repeat the very things that, that we are supposedly fighting against um, because of this work, because we're not doing our own work. Um, and until that examination occurs, um, it's really hard to go out and engage with others. And when we think about human beings and why people went to the hill, why they went to the mountaintop, why they secluded themselves and sequestered themselves, it was so that they could work on themselves and be able to bring a presence where they are more their full selves as opposed to this self that they had uh, you know, thought that they were. And so that's just an interesting, I don't think that's just coincidence, I guess, if it's across all human civilizations that go through that process. Yeah. You know, the thing is too, it's like, it's never ending, right? There's not a, there's not a moment where you can, I don't foresee a moment where you stop showing up with an understanding of how your internal individual experience or perception is impacting uh, your, your, your uh, outward engagement uh, and words. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the, the, if there is a beginning of the process, if the beginning of the process was to acknowledge, oh, I need to do some individual work, um, I can foresee it's like, at least for me, let me speak from the eye, it's been like, you know, first it was hard enough to get to, let me acknowledge that I have some work to do, um, hmm. which is hard, right? Because we're already, I think, as, as if you're a woman or a person of color, um, you know, or, 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 uh, not heterosexual, um, you're constantly being told you're not enough anyway. So I think when you have a resistive spirit, like if you are naturally an activist, I think our tendency is to not, at least mine was not to go there, was to not say, was not to self-acknowledge there was anything wrong with me as a means to be resistant to the powers that be that were constantly telling me there's something wrong with me, but it then hindered my ability to engage with my people and my circle, right? And so then I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I can acknowledge that there's some work that I need to do. And then you do the work, but there's never an end to that, right? This, this falsehood that there's a finish line. It's just a constant showing up in the circle of being aware that I'm bringing something to this, right? I'm bringing, uh, as much as I've done, you know, I do, I've done a lot of internalized work, uh, uh, self-reflections, uh, meditation, and I still, I'm still judgy. The cool thing is, is that I know, I'm like, oh, I actually realize I'm judgy, you know, and I can't, now I'm getting to the point where I can like interrupt that judgment. Um, I still have the judgment. I'm super judgy of people all the time, but uh, it, I, I can now interrupt it so that I'm not making decisions. I like, think it's my place to make decisions for other folks or like, you know, that's what I hear you saying, Juan Carlos. So like that process, it's, it's, it doesn't end, you know, like it's a constant, mm -hmm. that inter, the way that you said it, the, the interpersonal, is that the word that you used? Yeah, that interpersonal, it's like forever. It's, it's, I don't know how you have that external, that extrapersonal, that external mm -hmm. uh, engagement of the world without a constant 
internal dialogue. Um, if your goal is to engage with the world in terms of the greater good. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I wonder what you think, Maureen, in terms of the concept of maybe a parallel process of like we're human beings, we're going to interact all the time. Uh, but in order to, you know, it's a dance. And so in order to not, not that, that there's such a thing as doing it well, but how am I constantly doing intrapersonal work and interpersonal work? Because it is only, you know, by that definition, are you actually going to address the community piece? Um, but if you only focus on I mean, great, go be a yogi and live on a mountain and never tell anybody. Okay. You know, and then you live in diet, and that's wonderful energy. So I'm not saying that that's not a thing to do. Um, but what we know is, is that we all interact in some way. And so human beings, how are we doing that dance of both hands as opposed to either or or step one, step two? Yeah, yeah. I, um, first of all, just really want to appreciate the gift of both of you um, as just human beings who walk the world in darker skin to share vulnerably about the, the journey to come to a place of wanting to do that intra, intra, intra work um, within self. I feel like it's such a gift to get to hear just how white supremacy and patriarchy creates um, its own obstacles for you all to, to do that. Um, so I just wanna acknowledge and appreciate y'all for sharing that. And it's different than mine. Right. I mean, I think there's similarities in that whiteness and patriarchy and capitalism have us always wanting to appear like we've got it figured out, even when we don't. Right. And so there's kind of the systemic um, values in place um, that I think are. Yeah, are there. Um, but for, for me as a white person, um, you know, that was a really hard, um, you know, for me, whiteness plays out as a know it all. And having to acknowledge that I didn't know it all or that the, um, my level of intent does not absolve me from having to do my own work in the unlearning, particularly because of the privilege I carry as a white person, um, was really challenging because I was internalizing um, that it just means so much about the value of who I am as a human being, which is absurd. When you when, once I was able to kind of get out of that, I was able to see the absurdity of it in that, oh, what we're actually trying to do is create something profoundly different, which means the way I've been living in the world, and I'm not trying to replicate that. I only know that way of being in the world. So therefore, I have to begin to think differently and look at the ways um, that the things I don't like in the world are showing up in me. But that's not an easy... For me as a white woman, that was not an easy place to come to. And I, I spent a lot of time making lists and building things and creating schools and working 70, 80 hour work weeks to um, avoid all of the feelings and the healing of the trauma uh, that came with that, both from epigenetic history and from the ways in which I have been and will continue to be complicit in perpetuating white supremacy and patriarchy. And so coming to that place of one, I'm good enough just the way I am and just the way I'm not here in this moment. 
two, acknowledging that I've been brainwashed and I have a lifetime of brainwashing to undo doesn't mean anything about my value as a human being. And in fact, mm-hmm. actually not doing that work means that I'm not about it. Like I just had to get real. I was like, if I'm not interested in looking at the ways I am in a constant, I'm constantly going to default, which is why I can show up to a meeting with folks of color and be like, no, I'm not going to be the white person that brings the agenda here. (laughs) 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 Right. Uh, Because that's my work. Now you all had your own journey around dealing with that. And I think we got a little glimpse of that, but um, that, you know, there's a, it's still, it still has like a physiological response where I feel kind of like you were saying, Deidre, like you can notice the judgment and it doesn't live in you very long. Like I have the guilt and the shame of not having it all figured out. And I just am able to practice taking a deep breath and remember that, you know, we are smarter than any I in the room. And so what does it look like to sit back and um, welcome or create the space necessary for for us as a collective, you know? And so in some spaces that means um, I just need to shut the fuck up because I don't have relationship with folks in the room and, you know, we don't have that interpersonal relationship. Um, And then there are some folks that I feel really close with like you all that we do have that interpersonal relationship, which took time, you know, We, we, we didn't just, I don't think that happened like that. There was a lot of time and, energy uh, put into creating that, but then there's an invitation for me to uh, show up in a way. And I think that invitation is really key in the, in the interpersonal, but it doesn't stop my intrapersonal. Like it doesn't stop my individual work. It's not linear like that. It's not like a, all right, cool. Deidre and Juan Carlos said I could show up and I could just forget all the ways white supremacy characteristics show up in myself. I could just, boom, I'm back to know it all. That doesn't work either. <laughs> Um, so it's kind of a, I've heard the, the analogy of a gumbo that I really like, that there's a lot of ingredients in the gumbo and the longer it sits, the more delicious it is. Mm. Um, and so I feel that way about my own self-work and as well showing up to interpersonal work and then what we can create collectively, um, is that it's always in a state of evolution. It's always simmering, you know, and this batch will be different than that batch because it sat longer or there was, you know, two more bay leaves or, you know, whatever it was. But I sort of think about my own personal work as a key ingredient to contributing to the world that I very much love to see. And I think that definitely uh, getting ego out of the way mm. is pretty critical. This made up ass ego because it's white supremacy. I'm supposed to, back to your supposed tos. <laughs> There's a supposed I, to. Well, I'm just gonna ask a question. We, I, I didn't know, but I have a question for you on Paula. I'm curious about, I know that over the years we like, I feel like when we first started working with you in E3, um, at least for me, the lens that I was coming from in the work that I did with you was very much around, um, kind of tunnel, tunnel visioned around the impact of, uh, you know, where does equity inclusion um, and a dismantling of the ways that white supremacy make us think things should be um, impact your organization, right? And how do we help you sort of unpack that and build it in, a, in with a, um, 
very clear lens that these are the things you're kind of wanting to combat. And I feel like much of that was around white supremacy. Um, and then over the years, I know that you and I have had conversations. I know that you and Maureen have had conversations around um, how patriarchy lives in your body and um, how you, um, I feel like some of your, my understanding, some of the growth or the aha moments you had were after we met originally in E3, or they, I mean, they probably were happening, but you had some really um, big growths um, in that area after. And so I'm curious of your experience of like moving through or like, you know, Maureen and I use the word transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy as opposed to dismantling it. Um, but I'm curious about your experience. How would you talk about both of those together? Is it, is it white supremacy is over here and patriarchy is over here? Is it kind of mushy in the middle or like, I'm curious from a dude's dude. Like I said, you're like a dude's dude. <laughs> you know, from a dude's dude who's like working on being a feminist. I mean, that's really, you know, you want to know how, like my perspective of you, you're like a dude's dude who's working on being a feminist. And some of the ways that you and I overlap, I know it's because there's places where I'm hugely, honestly, it's like, I'm a little sexist, but it's part of it is because I was raised by men and it's that brown, you know, tingling of, of Caribbean and Latin yeah. and it's just kind of machismo kind of in there and that's kind of how I was raised and being a queer masculine of center woman, it's a little bit more comfortable for me. So I think, and those are some of the ways that you and I have gravitated toward each other or like had similarities and we've done mutual work with each other to unpack, right? Um, I hope that's okay to say, but that's kind of my yeah. experience of our uh, ever evolving, developing friendship. Um, so I'm curious for you, I'm going through my own process of like, I spent most of my time as a black person in America, I've, I have spent most of my time thinking about the ways in which I can transmute white supremacy. And we've built this course where we talk about transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy. I know that for me, patriarchy has always been an add-on. Um, and I'm in this place now that I'm starting to realize uh, the depths of the, um, insidiousness of patriarchy is just as intense and strong as white supremacy. Um, and my lens is starting to shift a bit, um, not to fall into white supremacy and put it into a hierarchy, um, but definitely having a clear understanding of, of the ways in which, some of the ways in which I fall victim, well, I allow white supremacy to move through me is predicated on a foundation of patriarchy. And it allows, you know, this, this, this way that I see gender kind of really uh, allows and holds the hand of white supremacy thoughts or movement to happen that are against my personal interests. So I'm wondering, <laughs> what is your experience? <laughs> the real, real. All right. Well, can I do a quick assumption, A, to give me some space to deal with my emotions and uh, also get some clarification on this? Um, the way I interpret white supremacy is I think about there's always been oppression, right? That's just been part of the human existence. Um, that oppression, as I understand it, has kind of been... Um, 
and and so it has evolved and where we live now in the last 527 years we have now what i'm calling white supremacy as the form of oppression that's what oppression looks like and then white supremacy has these 15 social constructs of how it like shows up of which whiteness is definitely on top of one of those that we talk a lot about and there are you know Another, you know, there, this is how you can define whiteness, you know, um, that white people literally like took characteristics and said, we're going to take that on, like individualism, you know, anybody can have individualism, but they took it on and like literally coded it in a great way, but it's part of white supremacists. And so when you look at the five, 15 social constructs, then underneath that is not just race, then there's this thing called, you know, sexism but I'm going to call it patriarchy because it takes on the whole piece around gender, sexual orientation, and sex in general, right? Um, so for me, like, I, I, I fold it into to that umbrella, and I see how specifically capitalism, patriarchy, and racism literally are so intertwined uh, together, but it fits under that umbrella for me but I'd love to check in my assumption with you all. So then, then I can kind of get in touch with my deal with my feelings here. I mean, I think, I, I don't know that I agree with the building of that, but I, I don't think it matters. I don't think I necessarily need to agree with it. I think, uh, so your assumption, I'm not sure what you mean by assumption. I think I love the way that you just uh, described it and explained it. Um, we can come back to later why I disagree with the visual that you gave. Um, but it, but I dis disagreeing doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong, right? I think it's just an experiential thing. Um, if that, you know, like it, I, so does that help with your assumption with you to, cause I'm, I'm more deeply interested in the feelings that are coming up. I want to get there. Um, I used to say for like the last couple of years, I'd be like, you know, I'm sure I feel some kind of way about that, you know? <laughs> and this is say, you know, it's safe space right now. It's just the three of us. It might be 3 million people in a moment, but we don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know, safe space, brother, you know, Maureen will cut out anything you don't want to go. Final editorial. Yeah. Speak mm -hmm. from your heart. I'm super curious about what feelings did that, because like I just shared with you, like from my perspective, you and I have actually never talked about that. Like, like I've, I don't know that I would have, I'm at a place now where I could verbally say here, I have been looking at my relationships that I have with men because I don't have, I don't have relationships with men. That's not my world. Um, so the few that I do have, I have been looking at to just kind of see, like, what is that about? Like, wh where's the affinity? Where's the, what's the draw? What's the attraction? Because it is solely, um, uh, sometimes it's very intuitive. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes, it, like, it, there's definitely something that my spirit is seeking to have in relationship with the men who are in my life. And then I think sometimes it's affinity. It's just personality affinity. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm masculine of center. Like there's things that my femme wife does that I'm like, I don't understand that. I don't get it. Or like, I'll say stuff. And she's like, I can't believe she said that. And I realized, wow, that was pretty sexist. <laughs> and I'm not laughing cause it's funny, but I'm laughing cause I'm embarrassed. You know, I'm like, Oh, um, so anyway, that's why I shared that with you. So I'm curious to so like, what, it, yeah, what came up for you feelings wise? Yeah. So, I mean, 
I do have a chart that I don't like to look at, but I'm assume you know, um, probably a lot of feelings of shame or guilt back to the should us um, is is probably what comes up, and it reminds me of um, particularly my daughter who today she was mowing the lawn outside, uh, and uh, she does this you know in general, which is you know she'll do it. And then, of course, you know, as me, the dad, I'll look at it and I'll be like, that's great that you did the work. Can I point out how you missed this whole line, you know? Um, Or the same thing with my son, you know, uh, he'll be doing something and and I'll point out that's great what you did in your game. Let me point out here some some different things. And for my own children, they, they, I think they want the affirmation. And so my daughter in particular would be like telling me, what do you think about the whole grass? You know, not just that part, you know, how did I do? And of course, you know, it, it puts a check on me and I tell you, Oh my gosh, it's great. It's beautiful. I love it. You know? And then, you know, we move on. And when the time is right, you know, she'll ask me and, and I'll let her know, but it's a reminder. And I say all of that because to me, when I think about my work and me as a human being, I mean, like, I tell the story that I have been a social justice activist from birth, you know, that I came in kicking and screaming into this world because I didn't want to deal with it. And, and from my first moment of memory, I'll never forget. And Deidre, you might've not been there when we had the, the, you might've had left already when we had the X retreat, Latin X retreat. And, and Thais uh, from Brazil, who came, said, what is your first memory as a child? Is it happy or sad? And for me, I was like, shit, it was sad, you know, or bad or definitely not happy. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, well, then that is probably not good in the sense of good being like, that's how I, I viewed my experience of the world. So I've been, you know, fighting so to speak, all my life, and now I'm joyous, I really am joyous, that I might make it to 50 this November. And so with 50 years, you know, on this planet, and all the list of things that, you know, can you know, attest to the shame or feeling, you know, bad, or the should have, of typically a patriarchy, you know, me embodying patriarchy and even thinking it was the right thing to do um, is where it's like I should have known better Mm. or I, um, you know, never really paid attention to it because this white supremacist, so stay with me on the definition, in this white supremacist world of oppression that I live in, you know, I know that my story, the story I tell myself and to others is that I'm an immigrant male of color. And while male is the dominant feature there, you know, in the oppression, you know, aspect of it, it's also clear that it's a target. So, so I'm clear that, um, you know, while the young man, you know, in Georgia, Terry Crawford is the guy who was 41 years that the police officer shot in Oklahoma. I don't know if those are the correct, that's the correct name and the facts and all that, but but I'll never forget watching that video. And that one shook me to the core because it was an adult man 
literally just walking back to his vehicle when he was shot. And knowing that that for me was so, it got to me because it just, again, it was one of those like, oh yeah, that's me any day of the week. And so how I understand being a male is only in the context of being an immigrant male. It's only in the context of being a male of color. It's been so hard to separate that out um, until recently, you know, that I was like, oh no, I can take patriarchy out of that. And I can show up still as a male um, and dominate in ways that I would be embarrassed about um, and, and shamed about, but why didn't I know better? And, and I think that's the piece that for me, um, you know, then puts me into the space of, of the same issues of white guilt of like, then, you know, oh, well, then I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to do, you know, and then that's guilty because then I'm just taking my little privilege and being on my little island and just doing my thing and so it's it's a you know literally <laughs> a, a rabbit hole in that sense and i guess those are the feelings that come up and i'm just so clear that now because i'm in a space that i do have i feel like an immense level of freedom and privilege of where i've landed there's obviously guilt around that but clear that it's also because of my maleness that i've been able to do that right because in this world of dei who gets the star stage, right, has been me or the darker male, I would say, specifically. So black men, particularly, uh, because I'm, I think, for oftentimes very racial ambiguous for people, um, then it's clear that I've landed as a result of that. Uh, and now I don't know what to do with that privilege. Um, and then I also know that I have to, you know, work on myself. And at the end of the day, it gets so personal because now, you know, especially with my teenagers. So the other ones, they're out of the house and I always, good or bad, um, but, you know, that when I think of that patriarchy of like the, the boy, I left them alone because they disgusted me because they reminded me of me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they just perpetuated it. And then my daughters, you know, I was, I was very intimate to let them know about what none of them got married or pregnant early or anything like that. Boys, yes. Girls, no. So now with my biological ones, just realizing that they're teenagers and, you know, wow, they wanted, you know, they're teenagers. They don't want, they don't want anything to do with me, per se, in this moment in the same way when they were younger and hopefully, you know, change when they grow older. But realizing that that the only, not the only, not the only, but if I want immediate response, then I can act very patriarchal and I will get my response. Mm. If I want to nurture and love, oh my gosh, well then that might take days before they might ask me a question, you know, and do I want to be that patient? And I'll use the excuse of a social act that I don't have time for you to be waiting that you know what the world is going to come for you down the road. So um, I think that it just brings a lot of pain, I guess, at the end of the day. And then realizing that I'm now, I can, I can take that part, that word apart and, 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 and focus more around that. But I put that under the umbrella again of white supremacy, that that's the work that I need to do because I could spend the rest of my life fighting racism, xenophobia, and this amazing new model of, of capitalism that we've done with E3. But, that means I, I could have escaped 
the patriarchy work that, in my humble opinion, I can be able to do so that I can truly connect um, with other human beings, but specifically uh, women. Woo, that was way too much. It wasn't way too much. That was exactly what it was. Well, what did it feel like to share that? Um, well, wanting to be held accountable, at least by both of you all, you know, so there's a sense of, um, uh, a good feeling of being able to express it with both of you all in a space that, um, for me, I, I, like I'm committed. I've always known that I, I'm committed to this work that, that crossed my mind because I want to be held accountable because I know I'm committed to this work and, and wanting to do that, that, that you all are going to treat me the way that my daughter and son are trying to treat want me to treat them, which is how am I doing overall? Not just focus on the fuck ups that I got going on, you know, in the moment, you know, there's a balance in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, and then also vulnerable, right? Cause you know, I have no idea what I just said. that means the truth was spoken (laughs) ain't that the funny thing about vulnerability that like afterwards i I hear that all the time and i feel it all the time myself i'm like i have no idea what i just said but it was because i think you're we're not in the thinking forward you're just in the moment you're like in it I, i was really inspired and deeply appreciated your willingness to be vulnerable and introspective and I also got a giggle out of when it was over you were like that was too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I appreciate that I appreciate it as well like um I, I I I really am interested in how you like I appreciate that you were able to explain your positioning like this, like your experience of your positioning. So like this, um, what is it like um, to walk into spaces and sort of you, because, okay, so the thing with white supremacy or whatever, I don't know what word it is, but the way in which uh, the the uh, power dynamic of, of power over, like using dominance, um, uh, moving from a space of believing that power is outside of us, right? That power is something that's outside of us, and it's something that gets parsed and pieced out based on uh, where you are. Almost, you know, it's almost like where you are within those fifteen constructs: the the race, the race identity, the identity constructs, um, the fifteen identity constructs from uh, that beautiful piece that you use in your work. Um, and I'm blanking on the the name of it: social constructs. Yeah. So. Yeah. So like, you know, I think that there's a way in which we are indoctrinated in this idea is that depending on where you are within those identity constructs, right? So whether you identify as, um, you know, male, female, androgynous, or gender binary, gender queer, straight, gay, somewhere in between, um, poor, Christian, Muslim, like, you know, all the different ways you get a little piece. It's almost like if, if, if power was a, a nugget, you know, power was an acorn. You get X number of acorns, you know, based on which one you choose, and that's your power, 
you know, that's your chips for your life. That's how much you get to move. That's how much space you get to say what you need to say. Um, that's how much you will or will not get chased down walking down the street and killed. Um, and so this idea of power, uh, I appreciate, like when you were talking, I was thinking about that it's not so much that anything that, I, I understand the wanting to be like, I should have known better, but like for me, it was more of this, um, I really appreciate the work that you did to even be able to see that you were in this certain position within, you were given, forced to be in certain positions within white supremacy, and you moved from that. Um, and knowing that you moved from that and knowing that you don't want to move from that again. Like that one is what I heard and I appreciate that, right? So being able to know, I think that um, one of the things that makes it really difficult for me to, to be out in the world is um, men. <laughs> and then I had to really come to, I had to really come to like, you know, my non-Christian come to Jesus moment of just really acknowledging how irritated I was by black and brown men in particular. Because for me, it was like, I didn't want to be irritated by them because I do understand um, the, the, the dangerousness of being a black or brown man, right? And the way that white supremacy uh, will um, attempt to kill you in many, in many ways, right? Um, but also understand that the narrative is not just you, right? Like we get killed also, but given, given one that you're a man and patriarchy is at play, it gets positioned higher, but also given that you're a man, you are seen more as a detriment to white men. So your, you know, your dangerousness is higher. So mm -hmm. I understand all that. So, you know, when I was trying to unpack it, I felt bad to unpack it because I didn't want my unpacking to diminish the reality and the experience of a black or brown man. So I get like the way you were positioning that. I get that. I think for me, as I, the rate, the reason at the beginning when you were like, this is the assumption I'm making and here's the, here's the way I did. Like, I, I agreed with that for many years and I don't, I, I don't know that I've moved into a non-agreement with that. I know that I have moved into, as I have begun to unpack my own internalized patriarchy, meaning my own internalized, um, my own internalization that women are less than, that uh, I am superior to the earth, um, that the earth is a female and, and so therefore I am superior to the earth, um, that animals are less than me. Um, like all of that stuff for me has a very gendered connotation to it because that's the way that it is actually, uh, indoctrinated into us. But patriarchy does a really good job and in a lot of ways it does it without actually, uh, directly mentioning gender, um, because it doesn't have to, it did it 2000 years ago. Um, and so mm -hmm. now I'm, you know, so I'm coming to a realization of that and trying to hold all of that. Like, what does it mean to be wanting to move in space where our goal is to create space for the greater good for all of us? Um, and there's this way that those people I feel like I'm on the same team with, men, are not seeing and so for me, it's starting to push me to move patriarchy um, into a different position, but wanting not to be complicit white supremacy, not wanting to form a hierarchy, but not really knowing what to do with it when my experience mm -hmm. is such that 
I not only have to deal with mansplaining and the silencing and the hatred of my entire being from white men, um, I have to also deal with uh, issues with my body and my womanness from men of color. You know, so that's why I'm having difficulty with like, I don't know where to put it, but I don't know that I would position patriarchy under white supremacy the way that I used to. I used to just very clearly position. If you had asked me, you know, even five years ago, there was, you know, uh, really in 2008, I remember the conversations when the whole gay marriage, everything in California with gay marriage uh, and the way white gays really handled that situation. If you had asked me then to choose, to make a choice, um, I was very easily allowing white supremacy to piece me apart. And so I would say, oh, absolutely, I, I would choose race. I'm going to choose black, not, you know, like without a doubt. I'm not choosing queer. I'm not choosing woman. I'm choosing black. Now I'm in a place of like, fuck you, white supremacy. I'm not being pieced to parcel. You don't get pieces of me. There's a whole totality of me. <laughs> and so that has shifted, you know, that is shifting my relationships and understanding of how patriarchy shows itself in our social constructs. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And I wonder if we're almost actually not saying trying to say the same thing, but, but what's interesting is the different ways in which we're coming towards maybe saying something similar, which is as it relates to race, you know, and immigration, um, it took me literally 35 years to understand, I mean, to fundamentally in my body realize that I am a source of energy, skin color, or my name that then people think I might not be from the United States. Hmm. Like the clarity that I have around that so that when there's an insult around or a harm or a threat around race, or, or xenophobic, you know, comments or, you know, action, like my ability to move that, like a martial arts, you know, person is, is like, I mean, I feel like I've, I don't want to say I've mastered it, but I've become a master of dealing with it, that I can notice it right away and, and push it aside. Um, as that relates to patriarchy, then I think all of this is intertwined. So when we talk about oppression, it's all been intertwined. And, and again, I'll keep talking about the book that uh, I, it was at your place, Deidre. Remember, right? When God created a woman 3,000 years ago, you know, whereas racism, you know, it's only 500 some odd years old, you know, so there's a fresh, you know, uh, in my mind versus, you know, uh, the way patriarchy has been. Uh, uh, evolving all these years. And what I wonder is in my own journey, I'm only now, I would say the last couple of years, just real clear as I in, engage then um, with folks who, who, who are either not feminists or folks who, who are not guys. So make that distinction that, that then I, I, I have the habit of mind to, reflect on how I'm showing up as a guy. Hmm. And I just wonder that as your, what I, I, I'll use the E3 example as a perfect example. What I saw show up in the organization for E3 is I was trying to pull away. And I specifically, these three things, capitalism, patriarchy, and racism, 
as like I don't want E three to actually perpetuate what what we're preaching. You know, how easy the capitalism was for people to understand. How easy it was for people to understand, you know, to get away from racism. But this patriarchy thing, where I'm going to call it like a Machiavellian type of power, you know, because it's not sometimes, it's not just like I'm the man. It's like, no, I'm going to be Machiavellian, say nothing, and then after the meeting's over, I'm going to, you know, make my move and make shit happen. You know, that kind of patriarchy shit. So, Knowing how even my board and even the the retreats, things that I would do, which are predominantly women, you know, like it blew me away how everyone was still stuck to, no, 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 Juan Carlos, let's, let's keep you on the pedal. Let's keep you up here so we can keep showing, you know, how great we're doing. And I was like, but I don't want that. And I'm clear, like, like I'd be mess- it'd be messing with my mind because then I'd have women telling me that it's okay. And I'd be thinking, but I don't think it's okay. You know, I don't think that's right. But not having the language to work and, and I go back to like, wow, why is it that then, you know, it has taken so long for me to get to even to this space to even address this, other than the fact that all of this is so intertwined. And again, I loved your analogy of nuggets. You know, there's not an accident that we say when we talk about white supremacy, we're always adding these things of, you know, whites, males, heterosexual, wealthy, educated. Like, we go through the effing list, you know. And so when you're on the non-target side of that, that, of course, I mean, you are giving the system, literally, is giving you so much around that, that that of course, then you become blind to it. And then I just wonder now that like, wow, can I show up one day is my one dream. Can I show up one day where somehow I'm able to show up as a person who acknowledges that I am energy that has this physical body um, as it relates to gender and around sex. Um, And then that somehow I'm gonna be not attached to it the way I've been able to work all these years and not being attached to my skin color or where I was born. Mm. That's my wondering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if we all pitch in on an island somewhere. <laughs> I'm down for that. Thank you for tuning in to Eyes on Whiteness. We appreciate you listening. And if you're able to support us, don't forget, you can find us on Patreon, Eyes on Whiteness. Every little bit helps. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. and Keep disrupting white supremacy in yourselves and each other. We got a lot of work to do. Take care, y'all. See you next time.